This week's Parsha could be entitled The Birth of a Leader. We see Moses adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, growing up as a prince of Egypt. We see him as a young man for the first time, realizing the implications of his true identity. He is, and knows he is, a member of an enslaved and suffering people. The Torah says, growing up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He intervenes. He acts, the mark of a true leader. We see him intervene three times, twice in Egypt, once in Midian, to rescue victims of violence. We then witness the great scene at the burning bush where God summons him to lead his people to freedom. Moses hesitates four times until God becomes angry, and Moses knows he has no other choice. This is a classic account of the childhood of a hero. But this is only the surface. The Torah is a deep and subtle book, and it doesn't always deliver its message on the surface. Just beneath is another and far more remarkable story, not about a hero, but about six heroines, six courageous women without whom there would not have been a Moses. First is Yocheved, wife of Amram, and mother of the three people who would have become the great leaders of the Israelites, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses himself. It was Yocheved who, at the height of the Egyptian persecution, had the courage to have a child, hide him for three months, and then devise a plan to give him a chance of being rescued. We know all too little of Yocheved. In her first appearance in the Torah, she is unnamed. Yet reading the narrative, we are left in no doubt about her bravery and resourcefulness. Not by accident did all her children become leaders. The second woman, a girl actually, was Miriam, Yocheved's daughter and Moses' elder sister. It was she who kept watch over the child as the ark floated down the river, and who approached Pharaoh's daughter with the suggestion that he be nursed among his own people. The biblical text paints a, paints a portrait of the young Miriam as a figure of unusual fearlessness and presence of mind. Rabbinic tradition went even further. In a remarkable midrash, we read of how the young Miriam confronted her father Amram and persuaded him to change his mind. Hearing of the decree that every male Israelite baby would be drowned in the river, Amram led the Israelites in divorcing their wives so that there would be no more children. He had logic on his side. Could it be right to bring children into the world if there were a 50% chance that they would be killed at birth? Yet Miriam, so the tradition goes, remonstrated with him. Your decree, she said, is worse than Pharaoh's. His affects only the boys. Yours affects all. His deprives children and the life of this world. Yours will deprive them of life even in the world to come. Amram relented, and as a result Moses was born. The implication is clear. Miriam had more faith than her father. Third and fourth were the two midwives, Shifra and Puah, who frustrated Pharaoh's first attempt at genocide. Told to kill the male Israelite children at birth, they feared God and didn't do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Summoned and accused of disobedience, they outwitted Pharaoh by constructing an ingenious cover story. The Hebrew women, they said, are vigorous and give birth before we arrive. They escaped punishment and saved lives. The significance of this story is that it is the first recorded incidence of one of Judaism's greatest contributions to civilization, the idea that there are moral limits to power. There are instructions that should not be obeyed. 
There are crimes against humanity that cannot be excused by the claim I was only obeying orders. This concept, known as civil disobedience, is usually attributed to the 19th century American writer Henry David Thoreau and entered international consciousness after the Holocaust and the Nuremberg trials. Its true origin, though, lay thousands of years earlier in the actions of these two women, Shifra and Pua. Through their understated courage, they earned a high place among the moral heroes of history, teaching us the primacy of conscience over conformity and the law of justice over the law of the land. The fifth heroic woman is Tsiporah, Moses' wife. Daughter of a Midianite priest, she was nonetheless determined to accompany Moses on his mission to Egypt, despite the fact that she had no reason to risk her life on such a hazardous venture. In a deeply enigmatic passage, the Torah tells us that it was she who saved Moses' life by performing a Brit Milah circumcision on their son. The impression we have of her is of a figure of monumental determination who, at a crucial moment, had a better sense than Moses himself of what God requires. I've saved, until the last, the most intriguing of them all, Pharaoh's daughter. It was she who had the courage to rescue an Israelite child and bring it up as her own in the very palace where her father was plotting the destruction of the Israelite people. Could we imagine a daughter of Hitler or Eichmann or Stalin doing the same? There's something at once heroic and gracious about this lightly sketched figure, the woman who gave Moses his name. Who was she? The Torah doesn't give her a name. However, the first book of Chronicles mentions a daughter of Pharaoh named Bitya, and it was she the sages identified as the woman who saved Moses. The name Bitya, sometimes read as Batya, means the daughter of God. And from this, the sages drew one of the most striking lessons. This is what they said. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to her, Moses wasn't your son, yet you called him your son. So you, who are not my daughter, I will call you my daughter. That is why she is called Batya, the daughter of God. They added that she was one of the very few, tradition enumerates only nine, who were so righteous that they entered paradise in their lifetime. So, on the surface, the Parsha is about the initiation into leadership of one remarkable man. But just beneath the surface is a counter-narrative of six extraordinary women, without whom there would not have been a Moses. They belong to a long tradition of strong women throughout Jewish history, from Deborah, Hannah, Ruth, and Esther in the Bible, to more modern figures like Sarah Shanira and Nechama Leibovitz, and more secular figures like Anne Frank, and Hannah Sinesh, and Golda Meir. How then, if women emerged so powerfully as leaders, were they excluded in Jewish law from certain leadership roles? If we look carefully, we'll see that women were historically excluded from two areas. One was the crown of priesthood, which went to Aaron and his sons. The other was the crown of kingship, which went to David and his sons. These were two roles built on the principle of dynastic succession. But from the third crown, the crown of Torah, women were never excluded. There were prophetesses, not just prophets. The sages enumerated seven of them. There were great women Torah scholars from the Mishnaic period, people like Beruria and Imma Shalom, all the way to today. At stake is a more general distinction. 
Rabbi Eliyahu Bakshi Doron, in his response of Binyan Av, differentiates between what he calls samchut, formal or official authority, and hanhaga, actual leadership. There are figures who hold positions of authority, prime ministers, presidents, CEOs, who may not be leaders at all. They may have the power to force people to do what they say, but they have no actual followers, they excite no admiration, they inspire no emulation. And then there may be leaders who hold no official position at all, but who are turned to for advice and are held up as role models. They have no power, but they have very great influence. Israel's prophets belong to this category. So often did the Gedolei Yisrael, the sages of each generation, neither Rashi nor Maimonides, held any official position, although some people say that Maimonides was chief rabbi of Egypt, but many scholars debate this. Wherever leadership depends on personal qualities, what Max Weber called charismatic authority, and not on office or title, there is no distinction in Jewish law between women and men. Yocheved, Miriam, Shifra, Puat, Tzipora, and Batya were leaders, not because of any position they held. In fact, in the case of Batya, she was a leader despite her official title as princess of Egypt. They were leaders because they had courage and conscience. They refused to be intimidated by power or defeated by circumstance. They were the real heroes of the Exodus, and their courage is still a source of inspiration today.